This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, it's Paul Wheelock and welcome to your latest podcast on the Blood Red channel. Now, earlier this week, I spent a really enjoyable 45 minutes on the phone with former Liverpool midfielder David Thompson. He told me all about coming through the youth ranks at Liverpool in the 1990s with the likes of Jamie Carragher and Michael Owen and just what it felt like to go on to play more than 50 times for the club he first joined when he was just nine years of age. David also explained why he left Liverpool in the summer of 2000, despite playing more than 30 games for Gerard Houllier the season before. He also went on to talk about signing for Liverpool legend Graeme Souness at Blackburn Rovers, where he was playing the best football of his career, football that got him into the England squad before he picked up a cruel knee injury that eventually resulted in him retiring early from the game. It's a really honest listen. But we started by talking about the current day, how he'd feel about being asked to return to training and playing while we're still very much in the midst of this coronavirus crisis, and his thoughts on Jurgen Klopp, Jordan Henderson and the Liverpool team that is destined to become Premier League champions. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, hi, David. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us. Uh, firstly, how are you doing and how are you coping with what we're all dealing with currently? Um... I, I think I'm, I'm I'm just as bored as everybody. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it, it's we need the football back. I need something to talk about, and, and you know the, the good thing about football is it is so dyna- dynamic. There is something different to talk about day in day out. Um, but uh, th- this has been quite a bizarre, strange situation, and it does make you realise how much football is a part of your life. I mean, it's probably. 70 percent of of, yeah. of, of of my brain space really and uh, you know to take that away leaves you with quite an empty feeling and i feel quite shallow actually which is quite embarrassing we'll no doubt get on to your career and everything that you've done and how how much a part of your life it's been and continues to be but just just before we start i just want to ask you if you were a premier league player now knowing that come next week you could be asked to restart training or maybe even next month it seems start playing matches again how would you feel because to me there's been talk about neutral venues being a, a problem and then obviously there's the broadcasting issue and, and, and the, the Sky TV BT Sport money but you've, you've got to think about the players in this so I wonder how they'd be feeling right now well there's so many moving components um, surrounding the situation of getting the lads back together and I think um, you know it, it's going to be up to the, the sensible big big wigs, and um, I think now they might have enough scientific data to be able to say, yeah, you, we, yeah, we think it's okay that you know the, the young lads can can go back and start training, but we still have to shield the elderly in the society and, and the vulnerable in society, and I think we still have to be very conscious, and um, you know. I think I know. I know the, the the government's guidelines have come out. And, you know, stay alert. And well, well, I think this is this is what it means exactly. Yeah, you might be fit enough to go and handle them and, and, and be able to get you know cope with the virus. But you know, it's who you pass it on to. So you still have to be alert, even though you you might not um, be as susceptible as others. Um, but I'm sure these lads are itching to get back and start playing now because you know I would be. I'd be missing the lads. I'd be missing the banter. You know, we said it before. You know these lads are competitive athletes, and even though they play, you know, week in week out, it, it, they they like to compete against each other day in day out, and it gives you that satisfaction and and justifies your, your, your it justifies your yeah what's the word I'm trying to say here it, it justifies your existence in a way 
you know, and uh, you prove yourself day in, day out against your peers. And, and that used to give me so much satisfaction when I was playing. So I'm sure the lads are really missing that. Yeah, it'd be nice they've had this time with the families, but I'm sure they're itching to get back now, and especially Liverpool. I mean, they were so close to touching the title and, uh, you know, sealing it. I know it's already near enough done and dusted, but to be able to, you know, go through and see it through to the end and pick up that trophy and give the fans everything that they've, they've wished for for the last 30 years would have been a beautiful moment. Have you felt watching this team progress under Jurgen Klopp? And, and as you say, it's it's European champions, world champions, and within two wins of winning the Premier League, how, how good are they? One of the most exciting teams I've ever watched. Probably one of the most well-balanced team I've ever seen. Um, and, you know, I, I think this is a team that could compete with any team, or with any team I've ever seen, you know, even the best Barcelona team in the, uh, you know, probably say 2004 onwards, you know, it, it really is, and it could compete with any Madrid team. It's a really fantastic, well balanced team and squad, and uh, it was it was only improving, but also the manager was improving. I think even when he came, yeah, he was he was a bit of a whirlwind, and every what he. Everything what 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 he was about was you know energy energetic and you know honesty and integrity. But you know we've seen Jurgen Klopp grow over the last four years, and I think even tactically now he's grown as a coach and as as a manager. Yeah, he's got a great team around him, um, including his staff, by the way. And uh, you know they've got a great business model, which was they were just on the verge of creating what I would say. Another dynasty, mm-hmm. you know, they've been robbed of that opportunity. I think, you know, in a way, and it's it's such a shame. So hopefully, you know, they can get that momentum back and continue where they left off. I'm sure they can. Looking at Jurgen Klopp, you spoke about Jurgen Klopp there, and one of the the big things he's done is is created this brilliant midfield. And you were a great midfielder in your in your day. Is there any of those players there, Jordan Henderson, Gini Wijnaldum, Fabinho, Milner? Is there anyone who you you particularly love watching? Do you know what? Right, I, I, I think I love watching them all. All of them bring something different to the party, but. Um, I have to say I've got a lot of admiration for Jordan Henderson. Uh, I've been singing his praises even when we used to play him out of position uh, on the right-hand side of midfield. You know, I always thought he had a great engine. He was very energetic. And even when he was fully fit, a fully fit Jordan Henderson is an asset to any team in world football. Um, He displays great leadership qualities. Yet he was in the shadow of Steven Gerrard for a long time. When he took over, he had difficult boots to fill. But I don't. I think he, he did it in his own way. I don't think he's tried to be anyone else but himself. And Jurgen Klopp has definitely helped him to become the man he is. Um, he's allowed him to be himself. He's allowed him to, to express himself. And I think that brings an honesty and integrity that is, um, you know, is is justified by, by the manager. I mean, that's what he commands, honesty and integrity, and you leave nothing on the field because that's the way he, he demonstrated his leadership skills. And, you know, this is... Uh, we've got a lot to learn from Jurgen Klopp, all of us. Even, you know, everybody in society has got a lot to learn with, you know, the, the way he goes about life. You know, there's an honesty and a zest and an enthusiasm for life, and I think we have to all, all embrace that. And he's allowed Jordan Henderson to become that. Um, 
you know, that integral part of of, of Liverpool midfield. And I have a lot of admiration for Jordan Henderson and I admire him as a top-class footballer. You know, he, he suffered a lot of criticism over the years. And I, th- and I think a lot of journalists now are starting to see that because yeah. there's a load of people jumped on the bandwagon. Um, but he's always he's always been a favourite of mine. Or anyone who can cover as much ground and make as many tackles in a game as he can is always going to have my, um, you know, always always going to have my admiration. And th- these midfield- midfielders for Liverpool are particularly selfish, aren't they? Because obviously you've got the front for you were remarkable and the, the goals they score, but then you've got two uh, full-backs who are more or less like wingers now. So they, they really have to do the, the hard graft, don't they, this midfield in particular? You see the midfield of Liverpool uh, being rotated quite a lot. And the reason for that is because they cover the most ground. They cover the most high intensity. They, they, they work harder than any other player on the pitch. I mean, that's fact. Um, so there is a lot of pressure on that midfield to, um, you know, they do all the donkey work. I'm not saying that the, front, the lads up front don't work hard, but I know the distance covered by the lads in midfield and the high intensity and the tempo, they're the driving force, they're the heartbeat. So that's why there is a lot of rotation. It's to give the lads a bit of a rest and a bit of a breather when needed to. Um yeah, but this is a fantastic football club and what a time to be a Liverpool footballer. What a time. Just embrace it and enjoy it. And I mean, it's sensational, really. It is indeed. Let's go back to the late 80s. I imagine definitely early 90s uh, when you, you joined Liverpool. How did you join them? How did you come to be picked up by the club? Well, I, the funny thing was, I mean, I went on a coaching course, which was, I think, you know, Anybody could have entered this course. It was like a paid course, uh, and it was it was it was a, a course. It was like a um, a residential course, and it was being held in Egbeth. Yeah, and Hugh McCauley was were, was running the the football side of it, and uh, it was Huey at the time. Ka- Jamie Carra was on the course actually, ironically, <laughs> uh, but I think Carra was already playing for Liverpool at the time. It was like a summer camp type thing, and. Uh, I was due to have trials with the uh, Tramier Rovers after the um, after the camp, but while I was there, Huey obviously took a look at me, took a shine to me, and uh, invited me down. And I'm truly grateful that he did. Um, you know, and he's been an integral part of my Liverpool career. You know, and uh, you know, got a lot of respect for Huey and Dave Shannon. Obviously, when I when I signed for Liverpool to to be amongst Huey and Dave, who t- who took care of us from the age of nine all the way up to to seventeen, eighteen, and uh, you know that's that was a it's quite a quite a rare experience to be able to you know have that affinity uh, that affinity and association with with the same coaches all the way through. So they get to know you as man and boy, mm-hmm. and they know you inside out. And I think that is um, it's a very unique experience and, and one which probably won't be emulated ever again. So nine years of age, signed by Liverpool, or certainly joined them training, and you go on to play for the first team. But before we get on to that, I just I just want to ask you this: this as much as uh, as a dad of a young lad who plays football, because one of his teammates has has been training down at Kirby, but Liverpool's under seven teams, and before all this happened in the world, mm-hmm. and I remember the the dad James coming telling me, he said, "Oh my word, the standard was just frightening." I imagine it was very much the same in your day, but not at Kirby, but at Vernon Sangster. Yeah, yeah. It, it was actually, um, but I think I mean there was something. The standard was exceptional. We had some, you know, great players all the time, and and 
you you couldn't you, you had to be a good player just to be invited down. Mm-hmm. So the standard was exceptional. But the, the Steve Highway, Huey McCauley, and Dave Shannon, they commanded the highest standards. And you 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 realise that in every session. I mean, the enthusiasm from Dave and Huey and Stevie, you know, it was uh, every day. Every every time you turned up, there were smiles on the faces. Every session was enjoyable. Every session was you were learning something new, and uh, you know, it was it was just such a fantastic. It was something to look forward to, and you felt you you really felt a part of it. I mean, it, it was. It's very difficult for me to describe and to put into words, but you really, you know, to look forward. Tuesday and a Thursday, we we used to train at the Vane and Sanctuary, but I couldn't <laughs> wait to get there. You know, if it was, if it would have been every day, I would have got there. You know, it was a, it was a bus train bus for me to get there from Birkenhead, but you know, it, it wasn't a bother. And you look back through uh, that time you were coming through, you know, you mentioned Jamie Carragher, Stephen Gerrard, Dominic Matteo, and then before you guys, Robbie Fowler and Stephen Manor. And it was really, I know you won the FA Youth Cup around that time, but it really was a golden age for the academy when you look at the, the names we've just reeled off there who've gone on to play at a, the highest level. Yeah, it, 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 it was really. And, um, you know, it was... <laughs> In a short space of time for for, for, for Liverpool to produce that that's that you know such a high standard um, and nature the talent the lads were talented lads anyway but to nature the talent and and you know it, it wasn't just creating footballers you were creating fine men as well mm-hmm. and uh, you know it is uh, it was an education in in humanity as well when you're coming through not just in football and how to behave and how to treat people with with, with respect and uh, you know it's it was a very special time and you know the Southampton game um, I think where Robbie Fowler got a hat-trick Mike Bowen scored Jamie Carras scored I scored it was 7-1 Don wasn't Mario it that scored. one yeah it was 7-1 and you know for, for all of us to get on the score sheet and uh, I think there was only Stevie. I don't think Stevie played that game. Actually, it might have been just still still in the youth team. But you know, for all of us to get on the score sheets and dominate a game, a Premier League match is uh, you will struggle to see that ever again in in the history of the Premier League. I'm I'm almost certain of that. Was that one of your proudest moments? That that goal, that performance, that given the fact that it was all you guys playing together and all scoring. Well, you know what we did. I don't even think we realised at the time. But when you when you look back, you've got five five different um, you know lads who scored goals coming through, who've come through the academy in such a short space of time. But then, you know, these are lads that went on to dominate world football. You know, Cara, Robbie Fowler, Steve McManaman, Michael Owen, Ballon d'Or winner. You know, Stevie G. It's you know bloody hell. It's like one of them. You know, finest midfielders of not just his generation but any generation and you know I think we look at it and, and, and even when, when I look at Dom I mean uh, probably because we didn't have full Liverpool careers I think people will look at us and judge us unfairly a little bit and say well you know you weren't good enough for Liverpool Football Club but, but uh, Dominic chose to leave to further his career because he didn't like playing such a youth, in, in so many different positions I left because I was playing out of position and wanted to be a centre midfielder. So uh, I'm not. I'm not saying you know we we deserve me and Dominic deserve the you know the same respect as the lads that stayed. And but I think people judge us unfair unfairly because Dominic's career he had a fine career. 
I mean, Dominic to go on and play, you know, international level for Scotland. He got in the England squad eight times. Yes. I think he was injured. You know, he played Champions League football. He he, he was a few. I mean, he signed for us at Blackburn after his Leeds career, but he had a fantastic career at Leeds Football Club. So I think maybe me and Dominic probably, we, we, we get judged by by the high standards that the other lads have set. And, uh, you, you know, you can look at us with, with, with say, well, maybe, you you know, you never achieved as much as them and, you know, it's, uh, you, you weren't as good as them. But the, the standards of them lads was just exceptionally high. And you've got to remember, like, you, can, you, can't, you can't even count or begin to count the amount of young players who've come through the system, like yourself and Dominic and the other players you spoke about there. Not many people like you do, even before we go and talk about Coventry Blackburn, the rest of your career, go on to play 50-odd games for Liverpool. I know, uh, again, it, it sounds like with footballers, you, you don't always have time to think about it because you live in the moment. But as you grow older, you must you must take a lot of pride about that, that the fact that you were, you were oh, taken absolutely. on by nine I mean, and you it, did all that. It's it, to go right through, all, all the way through the ranks. And, uh, you know... Uh, and. Uh, you know, not just make one or two appearances for Liverpool and then fade away. You know what I mean? It's like it's you know I had a, a couple of seasons in the first team there, and, and you know if, if I got more, if I'd have, I felt a little bit more affinity, a bit more love, or a bit more like guidance from the manager, I probably would have stayed. And you know if he'd have said to me, yeah, we'll give you some games in the middle, or we might give you some games on the left, you know, and, and you, you can go and. But what happened was I've come through as a centre midfielder from every every level. At Liverpool Football Club, I was a centre midfielder, and I felt I felt like I was always appreciated by all the coaches coming through. Mm-hmm. Now, if you'd have said to Steve Highway, who knew me inside out, would you play David Thompson on the right hand side of midfield? He'd have said, "No way, mm-hmm. no way." But Gerard Ullier came in and said, "Yo, well, and, and and this is a I heard Cara say something, and it struck a chord with me. Cara said, "When you do come through the ranks a little bit, you are. It, it is easy for the managers to say, well, do you know what?'" We'll put him on the right hand side, or we'll put him on the left hand side. We'll put it. We don't mind putting them out of position. We are the first to be sacrificed out of our position when you're a young lad and graduated through Liverpool, because we accept it a little bit more because we're so, I think, with the pride we feel to play for Liverpool mm-hmm. Football Club. But I knew when I was going out onto the right hand side, I was never going to do myself the justice that I, that I could have done either playing inside or just having a little bit more freedom to be able to say, do you know what, I can go left or I can go right. So, you know, Cara made a, a, a really valid point that we are first to be sacrificed. And it's true, we are. But the the only reason I, I, I left is because I, I knew I couldn't do myself justice or my career justice playing on the right-hand side. And I wasn't. And I proved that by leaving. We'll come on to Coventry in a moment. But looking back on Liverpool now, obviously a debut against Arsenal. Uh, then he went on loan to Swindon and then you came back, played a lot of games, as you've just been saying. Is there any particular highlight? We talked about the Southampton one. There's a game I remember growing up. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday, 4-1. Obviously, Stephen scored his first goal in that one and you played absolutely brilliantly. I'm pretty sure it was live on Sky. You scored a winner yeah. versus Chelsea. Is there, is there anything that you particularly hold fondest memories about with your time in the first team? Um, you know, you talk about that debut there when I think it was maybe 17, 18 yeah. at the time. I can't quite remember, but uh, I, I remember coming onto the pitch and 
I think if anyone's got any pictures of of, of me coming on the pitch at that time, I don't even think I was shaving. <laughs> honestly, I, I was very, I was a very immature, late developer as well, physically and and probably mentally. I was I was late late developing, but I was coming onto the pitch. I remember Bearcamp being on the pitch. I, I remember Tony Adams was on the pitch. Steve Bold, you know, and I remember Arsenal having a magnificent side, but just. You know, I'm, 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 and they put me on up front. I do remember that. It's, I remember this like yesterday. They put me on up front, and it was the last two minutes just to waste a bit of time. But I remember thinking, bloody hell, these are big men. <laughs> these are big, big men. And uh, that that was a night game. That, um, and then obviously it was the end of the season. And I think the next season I come back and we went. I went on loan to Swindon, which was a great experience for me. Steve McMahon took me down there, and you know. Another Liverpool, you know, stalwart to, to to carry on the education for me, and I think, you know, not to blow my own trumpet, but I went down there in in at the top of the championship at the time, played ten games for Swindon, I think I got ten man of the matches. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a great experience, and then to come back and be in and around the first team, uh, it sort of give me the confidence to think, yeah, you know what, you can play at this level and, and you, you can achieve things. Would you recommend that to young players now to, to go out on loan? Because I know there seems to be more of a trend, maybe at Liverpool Man City, where the you know, people like Foden at City and then people are talking about mm-hmm. Harvey Elliott here at Liverpool, that maybe he might be better to stay with the first team saying, Well what's your thoughts on it? Well, well my thoughts would be uh, if the loan system were, was as it was now, then I mean, I'd have gone on loan for a year yeah. and then come back and, and maybe, you know, reassess me Liverpool career at that time. But, you know, I'm thinking to myself, well, I've been out on loan once. I've showed I can play at that level. I've, I've showed I can play in the first team here, but I want to play in the middle of the pitch. Whether, you know, whether it was uh, as a number 10 or as an anchor role or, or even coming in off the left-hand side, I just didn't want to play on the right because I knew I wouldn't. You know, doing myself any justice. If that loan opportunity for me to go on loan for a season was there, I'd have took it <laughs> because I didn't want to leave Liverpool Football Club. You know, it, it wasn't like Julier was showing me the door. He did leave it open to me. Um, you know, he didn't say, "Look, we don't want it anymore." <laughs> blah blah blah. He just, you know, if you want to go, you can go. If you feel like it's best for you, and I said, "Yeah, okay, well, well, I will." But if that opportunity to go out on loan for a year was there, I'd have took that rather than go and you know sign for Coventry and um, you know it'd be a permanent decision. I, I did make a comment in an interview I did with Simon Hughes the other week, and mm-hmm. I didn't mean no disrespect for Coventry, but uh, you know there was a time there where I did feel like I was on loan or, or was was sort of hoping I was on loan, you know, because I always wanted to get back to when I say get back to Liverpool. I wanted to get back to prove I was good enough to play for Liverpool. So I would have loved that opportunity again to show the show Liverpool fans that I had improved and, you know, I was a better player. But I did feel like I was coming back to a top four club anyway with the form I was showing after Coventry, especially at Blackburn. Yeah, we'll come on to that in a moment. You're completely right. Back in those days, there weren't any loans to fellow Premier League clubs, were there? You know, the ball, it's completely changed. You would have to step down, whereas maybe now, yeah, you'd be on loan at another top 10 Premier League club. Yeah, and, and also, you you, you know, you, you uh, I would definitely recommend it for the likes of Foden. And, and, but I, I think he's an exceptional talent, but I, I would definitely recommend it. But if he's getting enough games in the in the first team at Man City, then then, then maybe not. Um, 
But if he's if he's starting to feel a little bit frustrated, like he wants to showcase his talent, then go on, go out on loan. Maybe you don't want to end your Man City career, you know, but you want to go and prove to people that you can play at that level. We'll, we'll go out on loan then for the season and then see how you go. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Before we just get to Coventry, I know you've mentioned Gerard Houllier a couple of times. I don't want to focus on the negatives with it, but it must have been a bit of a culture shock for everyone at the club at that time because you've, you've spoken about some of the Liverpool stalwarts uh, who helped you come through and obviously Roy Evans was joint manager with Gerard for, for a little bit and then there was that clean break. How did it go at the time? Did it feel at the time for you and the squad when he was com- he was announced as joint manager, really? It must have been yeah. a, bit of a, a bit of a shock, really. It was a it was a weird situation, and we knew it was a, it was a situation that all the lads felt, and they didn't have to say it, but we knew it wasn't going to work. Mm. Um, we just knew it, and we knew we we, we knew that it was um, you know softening the blow to show Roy the door really, even though Roy had been so unlucky. He was you know within millimeters of being successful, a very successful Liverpool manager. Um, yeah, it was a strange situation, but I had a lot of loyalty for Roy, obviously, giving me my debut. But mm-hmm. I liked him as a man and as a person. I hit it. And Ronnie Moran, you know, they just told you as it, as it was. You know, they were very straight and honest with you. And I just didn't feel I was getting that from Gerard. And I always, you know, maybe I didn't have enough confidence or enough maturity in myself to be able to say, Do you know what, you can build a relationship with this guy. You know, I think maybe I decided early on that, you know, I didn't like the situation or, or maybe I didn't like Gerard, but um, or just didn't get on with him. Not that I didn't like him because he wasn't a bad man. He was, you know, he was really, he had some good ideas. And I loved training with uh, Patrice Burge at the time. Mm-hmm. I thought he was an amazing coach. You know, they always kept you, their training sessions always kept you wanting more. A really high standard as well. Exceptional standard. Um but I do, I do wish I had a little bit maturity around me at the time, just to say, you know what, um, just hold out here and, and and maybe be a bit more open with with Gerard to tell him that you're not comfortable playing on the right, or you you would prefer to play a little bit more inside, or get the opportunity to show that you can be a better player playing in the middle. Um, because yeah, you look at it, you, you rightly so. When I was doing research for this this interview, like you, that season before you left for country, played thirty one games. So like you were very very much part of the the team, weren't you? But you made that choice to to, to move to Collins. Yeah, and, and I think I got set three, sent off three times in that <laughs> in that season as well. So maybe I would have made more appearances. And um, I remember being suspended for six. I think it was about six. Worked out about six weeks. So I missed. I missed about. Three first team games, but when I was back from suspension, Gerard put me straight back in against Watford. Mm-hmm. Uh, I managed to get on the score sheet and, and set another one up and played really well. So, you know, he, he did have a lot of faith in me, but I just I could have offered more if he'd have off, if he'd have given me the off opportunity to play more inside. And that was the frustrating thing for me is I never wanted to play on the right hand side and I never felt comfortable playing on the right hand side. I was I, I, you know, I, I've, it, it used to worry me some days playing on the right hand side because I, I don't know. I just didn't. I didn't really understand. I, I understood it, but I just didn't understand. Um, I didn't like playing on the right hand side. If, if I'm honest, you got I to felt do- like I had to wait for the game to come to me. Yes, and and some days it didn't come to you. And then you were expected to be disciplined and keep you with. And then all of a sudden, the manager's thinking, I've got to make a substitution. 
Tomo's not been in the game because the game's not even been on the right hand side. So you're always the first to be, you know, disposed of. So that used to frustrate me, and I think I used to take that personally, you know. And at times then, in games when you're playing on the right hand side, and the game's always, you know, it's not coming to you. So you want to go and take the game by yeah. the scuff of the net. So you you look a little bit indisciplined when you go looking for the door uh, for, for the ball. You go, you know, trying to find little hole on the left hand side where you maybe you shouldn't be, and then you leave yourself a little bit exposed if the team gets it, and then that looks unprofessional as well. So, you know, it was a it was a a bit of a a stick or twist situation really, and I didn't like either of them. So he took bravery though to move to Coventry under Gordon Strachan, but. I know in that first season, I think the team got relegated, but you did well, you played well, and then the second season, you got very close to, to getting them back up, and you were absolutely brilliant that season. I think it was 15 goals, you scored a lot of assists. Like yeah. In hindsight, already, I don't even know if you felt at the time, it was the right move to make, even though it must have been a you know a big, big tough decision to leave Liverpool. Well, it, it, it was a very, it was, it was a tough decision to leave Liverpool, and I remember going in, um, to say goodbye to all the lads, and I never even I never even got that far actually because I, I walked past um, the secretary's office, Sheila, mm-hmm. um, and she's passed away now. God rest her soul, what a lovely woman! Um, and she come out and she just gave me a big hug and she had tears in her eyes because she knew I was leaving. And I, I I never even got into the changing room. So what? Because I was, I was crying my eyes out. I actually thought, I can't let the lads see me cry my eyes off. They'll think I'm just a big melt. <laughs> so, you know, I basically turned. Uh, I got, I, I give Sheila a hug, cried my eyes out, and then run into my car. And then uh, that, that was the last. I never I never really got a chance to say goodbye to all the lads or all the staff, you know. And and that is that really is a regret because, you know, I, it, I, I actually buried a lot of feelings there that I really should have got out because I, w- I would have missed every one of them players. Yeah. Um, it's hard football, isn't it? I know, like, sometimes look at you guys as footballers as kind of like, you know, because like alpha males, like, you know, like super fit, like, you know, big yeah, stars yeah. of the show, but like, like everyone else, you got feelings, haven't you? You know, I know you can't always show them in the, in the confines of a dressing room, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it, yeah. it's it goes in your head. The, yeah, the, the mind plays tricks, doesn't it, kind of thing, is it, even as footballers? It, it does, yeah, and you have you, you have got to, and, and every all footballers have got massive egos, but it's a necessity to survive in a, in a really tough dressing room, and, um, and exactly the way you've, you've said it, but I do wish that I got the chance you know, to, to to say goodbye properly to all the lads, but I I, I was a very emotional player. Uh, I think you've seen that it always yeah. came through. I was a very emotional lad on 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 and off the pitch, um, and that would have came through as well. So yeah, it was a bit embarrassing, really. I got to Sheila's office, burst out crying, and then. And run away into my car so <laughs> I know you said uh, that you always wanted to get back to Liverpool to show you that you were back for the top four side and you you did well at Coventry but I imagine Liverpool fans are probably best you know you're from Blackburn because they were battling with Liverpool at that time you are you you moved there to in 2002 under Graeme Sooners and I know yeah. a lot of people I've covered Blackburn in my time for a paper in, in that part of the world and most obviously remember the club for the for the title win in 95 but I tell you what at the turn of the century those early 2000s the team you were part of they were a bloody good side weren't they Blackburn back then oh absolutely and you talk about having a well balanced team we, we really did you know our goalkeeper Brad Friedel was an exceptional goalkeeper we had you know uh, two good centre-halves Craig Short Henenberg um, and, and then um, you know we had 
great midfield. Duffer, two guy, Gary Flickcroft, you know, was a heart of that midfield. David Dunn was there. He was a very talented player. Keith Gillespie was a very underrated footballer. And then you go through to the, to the you know, the front, the, the strikers. I mean, we had Dwight York, they call two of the most feared strikers in Premier League football. And I think, unfortunately, as well, Matt Janssen, who, who had his accidents, he was yeah. coming back. He, he would have been a, a great asset at the time to uh, to complement, you know, York and Cole and, and Yanni. I think we'd have done really well. You know, we we felt like we could go and give anybody a game on, on, on a given day, you know, and we really could. We really could. We played some lovely football, kept possession, worked hard off the ball to get it back, and we were a good team. What was it like playing under Graham Sooners? I've heard he made you feel 10 foot tall. <laughs> he was awesome, Sue. He, he, you know, he, he he wanted you to go out and enjoy yourself, dress yourself and do what you were good at. And that, that, you know, that's all I ever needed in my career. So when when I arrived there, for him to say, just, you know, try and give Tomo the ball, get Tomo in space, you know, get Duffer the ball, get Duffer in space, you know, it's, it, it really felt like, you know, he unshackled me and I could go and be creative. And I think it showed, you know, I had... I think that season I got injured in February, um, went from the operation and never came back. By that time, I'd already got um, seven goals for the season and I think I'd had about 10 assists. So, you know, we I was doing really well. I was enjoying my football. I really was. And it, it is such a shame. Like, I know we'll touch on your injury. Obviously, we've got to do it. But around that time when you got injured, it's, it's right that you got it while you were away with England. That's how well you were playing, weren't you? You were, you were as, yeah. as good as any midfielder in the country at that time. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, when I was stepping out onto the pitch, I wasn't, I, I really knew I could go and it. I felt so much, so confident I could go and have an impact on any game, you know, whether that was going to create a goal or score a goal or, you know, just be involved. And it was, that that just wasn't, uh, what, what helped my form was all the lads around me were all top players, you know, so they were bringing out the best in me. Um, so I have to give, you know, compliment the lads mm-hmm. on that as well we are on, on, on the team and the manager you know it wasn't just about me but it was my hard work was giving me that opportunity and that was beginning to pay off but uh, I was playing in a really fantastic team and enjoying myself and enjoying my football but yeah the injury came at a really you know a really bad time yeah, it's, I've read more if, about it. If there is ever a good time. But it, you were like mid-twenties, weren't you? Kind of approaching approaching the peak. You did everything, didn't you, to, to try and come back. I believe you've seen uh, the famous uh, knee surgery, Richard Stearman, isn't it? Like in America, yeah. like it sounds like you did... Yeah. Stedman, sorry, not Stearman. Uh, you, it sounds like you did everything you can to to get back to the play you were before the injury. I did, you know, but I think... The, Here's the difficult part of, 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 of what happened. I only went in for a scope on my knee. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really know what was wrong with my knee. I just knew that there was something not quite right going on in my knee. So they went in to scope it. Now, when I came round off the operation, they told me they'd done a procedure. You know, it was quite a serious procedure. They called microfracture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it was, you know, I was going to be out for 10 months nine, ten months, um, and your knee probably won't get any better from this point. And I was like, wow, this is like, this is a bit of a shock. I, 
if I'd have known that there was something wrong with the knee, I would have gone straight over to Stedman anyway. Yeah. Rather than have someone do the operation in this country. And, and that's no disrespect to any surgeons here. It's just that I would have liked the, the choice to be able to, you know, save my career. Mm-hmm. And who was going to do that? And uh, so after that operation, I, I was out for 10 months. I came back. And I think I played 10 games, including reserve games, I think four or five first-team games. And the knee wasn't right. So I I, I knew the microfracture hadn't worked. So basically, straight away onto the plane to go and see Richard Stedman, the renowned best surgeon in the world for knees. So I got over there. He said, I can help you. He said, I can give you four or five years tops he said it won't it won't be your best years and you won't be the same player as you was, but you'll be able to, you know, play at the highest level. And to be honest with you, he was right because you know, as hard as I tried, the knee was always giving me problems in most games, most training sessions. Um, no, I don't think anyone really would have thought. You know what, Tomo's not fucking. He's he's let us down there. I yeah. don't think anyone would have thought I let them down, but I was very average. I, I became a very average player overnight. It must, we've talked about like the mental aspects of, of the game and it's become more prevalent in recent years. You see at Liverpool now, they've got a sports psychologist on site three days a week. It's, uh, you know, it's it, it must have been hard for you to take really, you know, to, to deal with mentally, let alone physically. Yeah, it was definitely a traumatic experience that, you know, it, it changed me as a person and a player overnight. Um, you know, Unfortunately, you know, I feel for the for the worse. Mm-hmm. You know, not for the better. I became a very angry um, individual, and I remember that Doc Batty at Liverpool actually sending me to 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 speak to a psychologist and try to get me to come to terms with that. But uh, I don't feel that helped me at the time. I probably should have had more sessions of it, really. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it definitely. Um, and then, and then coupled coupled to that, what made it even worse, Paul, was when after being out for nearly two years, I reckon twenty months I was out for. Mm-hmm. I'd worked so hard to come back, and I felt in great shape. And I remember we had a game live on Sky at Ewood Park, lovely sunny day, Man United in town, and um, that was going to be my comeback game. And ten minutes into that game, Cleberson just he just like slipped my foot away. I wouldn't say it was a sinister tackle, but he just slipped my foot away and I collapsed on my ankle (sighs) and broke a bone in my ankle and had to come off. You know, so after being out for 20 months, you know, you're chomping at the bit to come back and play and and, and go and impress um, live on the sky against Man United. What better place to do it? And then you break your ankle after 10 minutes and then you're out for another two months. I just thought, you know what, you couldn't script it. Yeah, it's and, and imagine by the time you came back, that was around the time Graham left, wasn't it? And Mark Hughes came in, so there was this further the further change there. It, it, it again, it's you know, I, I'm a football fan like you are. Ed, Ed players are journalists, are fans, whatever occupation. And sometimes we do kind of. Uh, you do lose sight of the fact that you think every player should be loyal completely to the club, but it's only when you hear stories like this and it even works slightly in the industry like I've done that you realise it is such a delicate, delicate short career, isn't it, really? You know, it, it is, it is, it's tough. Short career, um, and I know that more than anyone now. You know, it's like, 
I look back at my career now and, uh, you know, I, I, I am filled with regret and I am filled with a lot of frustration when I look back at it because I know I'm, what I should have achieved and what I could have achieved and it really, you know, it, it doesn't sit well with me. Um, but it is a short career and, and we are, and footballers are, very fragile mentally. I thought I was a very strong person, but as it turned out, I was uh, just as fragile as the rest of us in society. Let's try and end on a positive your career. You still look back, and as you say, 56 games for Liverpool, five goals, great job at Coventry, so well remembered at Blackburn. I know you went on to play for another clubs. You know, over time, you, as I said earlier, when you just talk about Liverpool, though, but you've still got to be pleased at that lad who was starting out at nine when Liverpool went on to do what you've done. Yeah, that was. I mean, the 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 dream was to, to you know to to step out at least once on on you know just on that you know just to come through that tunnel, touch the side at Anfield. This this is Anfield, and uh, you know to get out there and but to play as many times as I did, and also with with some of the footballers that I did was um, you know not many lads get to live out that dream, and and, and I'm no I mean a special. I think it's a, a 0.75 percent or something. Wow. <laughs> something ridiculous the, the amount of footballers that start out on the road with the dream to play um, I think when you whittle it down it only comes down to about 0.75% actually make it to that level and, and I did and that makes me extremely pl- uh, very proud of that but I am filled with regret and frustration about how it pitted out um, and I'll never I'll, I'll probably never get over that but you know that's life isn't it I can understand that before we just wrap up, I'm so thankful for all the time you've given us all right already, mate. But uh, in terms of what you're up to now, what, who, who was the best player that you you played with? Like you know, either at Liverpool or Blackburn. Who was the player, or maybe the the lad when you were coming through the first team ranks at Liverpool that you just looked at and thought, wow, what a footballer. Yeah, well, you know, c- coming through at Liverpool, right? I I I, I I'm going to single out quite a. <laughs> I can't single out just one person because there was quite a few actually that had an impact on me and they probably won't even realise they had it. But John Barnes was a great, great oh, man to yeah. look up to. Jan Mulby as well, you know, played the game beautifully. Um, and then I think one who stands out, I mean, obviously Stevie G came through after me and went on to achieve greatness. Um, so I can't lay claim and say, oh, you know, I played with Stevie G when he was at his peak. I would have loved to, but... What I will say is, I'd say Steve McManaman was a really special player and he was coming into his peak when I was com- just coming into the team. And we pr- I probably only got about three months with him, really, um, before he went on to Madrid. But I would have loved to have played with, 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 with Maka for that period of the time that he went to Madrid. I think he was an amazing talent. Um, you know, he wasn't the best. He wasn't the best finisher, but he was an amazing, amazing footballer. He had so many. He could carve teams open. He could run with the ball. He, he had vision. So, um, yeah, I, I, would, I would say Stevie Mack was a really special player. Yeah, absolutely brilliant footballer. Obviously, big friends with Jamie Carragher as well. He went on to have a, a great career. And you're still very close to him, aren't you? You know, another, another. Both of you do sometimes have a reminisce kind of thing about <laughs> the, the, the youth team days. And <laughs> yeah, we do actually. Yeah, I mean, but I, I mean, I what what Carragher's gone on to achieve. I mean, um, it, it, this it, it's actually no surprise to me to 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 see what Jamie's gone on to 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 achieve in his career. Um, 
you know, he's always been one of the hardest working in the team. He's always been one of the most obsessed with improving um, day in, day out and, and commanding the best from everybody around him. Um, his leadership qualities are, are second to none, but also he's, he's, he's a very humble individual and it's quite unique. And I think Jamie's a credit to his his his, his family, his mum and dad, and uh, you know his brothers. And you know he's he's just a really great guy, really top fella. Great to meet him. Deserved everything he achieved in the game. Like him, you've you've done a bit of media work. You do a bit of media work. I'm sure you'll be doing even more once the football resumes. Uh, you've got your business commitments. And but the last time I spoke to you, wasn't it the Echo Dan? As I say, was at the Lancashire Telegraph. We were talking about your your kind of coaching aspirations. You were starting your badges back then, and you are involved now, aren't you? You're back involved with football. I am, and uh, I'm enjoying it. And you know, I'm obviously I'm starting from 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 the bottom bottom rung. Um, but I have full confidence in my ability to be able to progress quickly and um, hopefully find a way back into into league football and, and start to achieve things because, you know, I feel like I failed in being a winner when I was a player and I don't want to fail as being a winner when I'm a manager. So, uh, you know, that's um, <laughs> that's always the, the desire and, 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 and the drive is, is always going to be there to, to improve and I just want to show everyone what I'm about now. Yeah, you're starting out to Radcliffe Butter as an assistant manager. Hopefully, like all levels of football, it returns to to uh, to normality before we know it. But just just one final one, like or some kind of normality. I suppose we're not going to get back to normality anytime soon. But who were the managers when you you, you look back? Who, who left that big imprint on you? I know you spoke some about your academy coaches. Who were the ones who you you, you really respected and, and loved playing for? I tell you, what I loved playing for actually, um, and and this might surprise a few people, but I, I loved playing for Howard Wilkinson. I think he had yeah. a he had a real understanding of of human beings. I think he, you know, I, I, I don't know where this came from, but he could he could understand people, and he, you know, he he could he could stare at people, and he could know what you were thinking. And uh, uh, there's a couple of things that he used to. It was coaching sessions can be a bit monotonous. And, <laughs> You know, people say he did like long ball, but um, I thought he was a fantastic coach, and he did give me a few golden nuggets. So yeah, he was a, he was he was great to work with Howard Wilkinson. But in terms of getting the best out of me and, and, and allowing me to be to grow as a human being, and you know, to feel like someone had full faith in me, then I'd say Graham Souness. Mm-hmm. Definitely, mate. And would you love to have played for Jurgen Klopp? I imagine would he have been right oh, up your God, street? Listen, he. <laughs> I, I tell you what, I play with him. I play for him now with one leg. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the guy. I mean, I'm not just jumping on the bandwagon here. The, this guy, could, he, he could, uh, he could go and be prime minister in Germany or or, or anywhere. He's, he's, he's a natural born leader, and and he does it through being authentic and being, and he does it with honesty and integrity, and and you know, it's it's very commendable. David, thanks very much for your time. You've given us more or less an hour there, mate. Uh, love to catch up with you again in future, if that's all right, for another podcast, no, if that's okay. Uh, I'd love to, mate. I'd love to. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.